0: Hello, and welcome to the second in this series for Mental Health Awareness Month that is focused on how entrepreneurs are using their skills and abilities, and in many cases, their business, to help support the mental health needs of their communities. In today's conversation, I talk with my very good friend, Andrew Herr. He is the founder and CEO of Fount a company that is designing a suite of health and performance solutions to give the mind and body what they truly need to feel and perform their best. Fount helps people address goals and concerns related to cognitive functioning, the way that we think, emotional well-being, physical bodies, sleep, and the body's resilience to handle environmental challenges at any stage of life. Andrew has graduate degrees in health physics, microbiology, and immunology, and security studies from Georgetown University. He led human performance and biotech strategy for the Pentagon and has worked extensively with special operations personnel and professional sports teams. Simply put, Andrew is wicked smart, and he is working really hard to figure out how to apply the science of individualized performance optimization to The population at scale it's an audacious goal but i'm cheering for him because i see so much value in his work to prevent significant mental health concerns among entrepreneurs and other high performers welcome to the zen founder podcast this is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship we have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means. Sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation cutting edge performance insights that have been informed by work with the military. You've got this picture of Navy SEALs on your website. So talk to me about the kinds of problems that you often solve.
1: The really exciting thing about what we do now is that we have clientele from Navy SEALs to executives to people who want to get pregnant. So we really get to look across From people at the very edge of what a human can do physiologically to startup founders, often at the very edge of what a human can do psychologically, to people who really just want to optimize for their life. So, you know, we're thinking about energy, focus, mood, sleep, gut health, gaining muscle, losing fat, longevity markers, fertility, really, you know, managing stress, really this full gamut of like cognitive, physical, and socio emotional factors that are critical for performance, but also you know, for having a great life.
0: So it's not just the the super muscly, like CrossFit athlete that you are attempting to serve.
1: We like to think that we can take somebody from zero to a hundred. I would say like, you know, if you have a legal issue, you probably don't go to law school. You probably hire a lawyer. Um, and so just in the same way, we're there to take you from wherever you are to an elite level of knowledge and understanding and programming. But we also love working with people who are already, at 80 or 90 out of 100 because you can really fine-tune and optimize. And often those people are quite insightful about what's going on in their body. And so one of the experiences we had with the Navy SEALs is like, if you're that close to the edge, you can imagine like an eight-hour dive mission where somebody loses 20 pounds. I mean, thinking about what that means physiologically is sort of crazy. Most people would sort of pass out in that level. You know if something works. So if we're accelerating your recovery, if we're increasing endurance... If we're helping your brain process information under stress, they really know. And so we've taken a lot of those insights that we got from these people with incredible sort of ability to notice the little things, and then we deploy them for all of our customers, although no one size fits all, right? And so something that worked with one Navy SEAL doesn't work for another, and something that works for one Navy SEAL doesn't necessarily work for a business executive. But although what's funny is the sort of personality and physiology that we think of in the sort of special operations community is mirrored a lot in the startup founder community.
0: I was going to ask you about that because you obviously have this, the lens from which you historically have come, which is in research and performance optimization with the military. But now it sounds like you work with a lot of entrepreneurs and executives and folks in business leadership positions. And I would imagine, well, and I know from my own work and experience that there are some overlapping personality traits Are there overlapping physiological traits as well?
1: Absolutely. So, you know, often people think about the physicality you need to make it into special operations, and and there's certainly a big component there. But the number one predictor of making it into special operations versus not, because everyone's already sort of fit, who's trying, is the ability to process information under stress. So actually there are studies looking at the physiology of blood markers of special operators and people who make it through the schools and people who don't. And you see these like very dramatic differences in blood hormone levels and other things under stress. And so, you know, if the ability to think clearly under stress, uh, writ large is sort of the most important thing that it takes to become and really differentiate yourself from the other fit people. It's an incredibly powerful skill for founders. You know, Obviously, you know, if you look at, I think, every unicorn startup, they've had to make some major pivot. And if you can't pivot under stress, which, you know, cognitive flexibility is in most people dramatically degraded by stress hormone levels. So if you don't have that ability, then it's much harder to be a successful founder. So I think you actually, I often see people and I'm talking to them and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is this like classic special operator startup founder effect where they're incredibly good under high levels of stress. Although sometimes that means they're not great under low levels of stress. They need a little more juice during the boring times. They like faster cars. They like some of them like alcohol and stimulants.
0: They might create a little chaos here and there when there's not enough chaos happening organically.
1: It's been known to happen.
0: <laughs> so yeah, what's happening in the body in that situation where someone is sort of understimulated from a stress perspective?
1: So if you think of, we'll see if I can do this visual or you know, describe the visual. If you think of an X, Y graph where the vertical, the Y axis is how well you're performing. As you go up, you're performing better. And the X axis, the horizontal axis is how activated your body is. Think of it as sort of stress levels, but stress without necessarily the negative context. Technically, the term in psychology is arousal, but you know, without the sexual component. If you're really bored or asleep, you're not going to perform very well. And so everybody's curve has sort of an upside down U shape. And as you get a little more activated, a little more activated, you perform better and better. But then there's some point where you go over the top and sort of kind of start to fall down the other side and you're too activated, you're too stressed. And what's going on is actually the ability of your brain to handle the signal, the thoughts you want to without too much noise in the background. So there's not enough signal when you're bored and there's too much noise when you're overstimulated. And so what we can see is people who end up being great special operators and many in the entrepreneur and founder community, their curve is shifted to the right. So they they do really well at more stimulation at higher levels of stress. And the reason it matters in this noise signal to noise ratio becomes an issue is, for example, as cortisol levels go up, if your body doesn't have a way to buffer them, it actually downregulates the ability of the prefrontal cortex, that higher thinking part of your brain, responsible for focus and creativity, all these things that really matter in business. It prevents it from bringing fuel in and bringing glucose, which is the fuel our brain uses. So if you're downregulating that and your brain isn't resilient against these cortisol levels, you're going to start thinking really myopically, really linearly. And you can show this um, actually on tests. We have these tests of people who just came out of military exercises and survival scenarios. And you have them draw these pictures from memory. And the people who come out of a low-stress situation do sort of the outlines and then fill in the details, kind of a high-level, top-down cognitive strategy. And you get these people coming out of high-stress situations that literally draw it left to right. It's this insanely vivid description of linear thinking.
0: Fascinating. And it's the Yerkes-Dotson principle, I believe, that you're referring to, that relationship between stress level or arousal. We can use that word here and performance. So um, it sounds like some people's bodies work with stress sort of naturally better than others, better from a performance perspective. So can you train that? Can people practice? Can they improve their capacity to think clearly and critically when they're in a high stress environment?
1: Yeah, there's a, absolutely. Absolutely there's some nature here like some people got a great set of hardware in this regard and you know it's more power to them but there are absolutely things you can do from the trivial you know everyone knows that if you're hangry and you haven't eaten for a long time you're not at your best and you're snappier and actually just like i mentioned that when you have too much stress it prevents that prefrontal cortex that higher thinking part of your brain from bringing fuel in if you don't have enough fuel available cuz you haven't eaten it's the same effect so you know, what you've eaten. We have supplements that can modulate stress hormone levels that can buffer the effect where you go in and you don't have quite as big a spike of cortisol or adrenaline. One of the favorite slides I show when I give talks about this is that there are some extracts from chocolate that actually buffer stress hormone levels. So everyone wants to hear that chocolate's good.
0: Go chocolate.
1: Meditation can dramatically improve both baseline stress hormone levels and your response and how quickly you come back down to baseline. And then another piece that is you know, outside of this world of kind of tools to modulate it directly, you know, which would keep going to exercise and others, is I ran the military's first ever look at what the physiology of unit cohesion is, of what, how leadership under stress in these small units allows some to perform at incredible levels despite casualties and no sleep and others fall apart. And it's a, it's a sort of a long description that boils down to the fact that when you trust the people you're with, you do not have the same stress hormone response to the same event. So not only what you can do to yourself, but if you build a team, a community, relationships around you defined by trust, and then the other component of it is focus: are you aligned? Do you want the same things? You can dramatically improve your ability to handle even remarkably high levels of stress.
0: And I will echo that from the inverse, which is that people who are most likely to get PTSD following a combat deployment had an experience in which they lost trust in their leader. And they felt like the people who were in charge didn't know what they were doing and weren't trustworthy. And so they were asked to do these difficult things under a high stress environment in a situation when there wasn't a high level of trust. And it tends to sort of break down the code of where people feel comfortable performing under extreme situations or extreme circumstances.
1: 100%. I think that's also, frankly, one of the reasons that working with an amazing therapist is high value because at the end of the day, you have a trust relationship there as well. It's another, you know, obviously there's all kinds of cognitive processing and things, but that trust relationship alone is incredibly powerful.
0: It's so... Interesting to think about the work that you do because on on one level, the impression is that it's body work. you're helping people build muscles and focus longer. But you know, hearing you talk about the relational elements of performance and it just seems broader and deeper than people give it credit for, which I often think about again from the opposite perspective of people want to think about mental health as the thoughts in your head or your serotonin level. And of course those things are relevant, but they're completely just pieces of a larger puzzle. Talk to me about how you think about the connection between physical health and mental health.
1: I mean, I think, you know, you, you obviously laid out that it's, there's a dramatic connection there. So everything from the fact that like a lot of your serotonin is produced in the gut and influenced by what you're eating to sort of my favorite example is if you induce inflammation. So if you in these studies that I don't know why anyone would ever sign up to do this, but they inject some of the cell wall bacteria that sort of freaks your immune system out. You get a rise in inflammation and within an hour, your anxiety levels spike also and your levels of confidence drop. So now let's bring that back to somebody not in a study where they're getting weird stuff injected into them. which could be fun too, but that's a separate topic. Uh, but you know, if, <laughs> different like, study. If, yeah, different study. but if you're eating things that generate inflammation, um, which could be, fats you're consuming, sugars, or even just foods that your body is sensitive to. There's a whole world now where we understand how food sensitivities work and they're driving this inflammatory response. It's going to make you more anxious. So we absolutely see people who have meaningful levels of anxiety, who when you solve these inflammatory issues, and you know, there's a lot of tools to do that. It's nutrition, supplements, exercise, all these things can help. You change their mood dramatically. I'll, I'll sort of never forget one of my favorite clients is there and he's describing this situation where he's in a meeting and he knows someone on his team is trying to push his buttons. And he's sitting there and I think for the first time he realizes like metacognitively because he has like this anxiety that we've lifted off from all the physiological stuff he had going on. He's sitting there being like, I know you're trying to push my buttons, but I'm not going to respond. And so it sort of lifted this fog that had been on his brain, making him unable to see it, just being reactive. And now he not only is it reactive, but has access to that metacognitive layer, uh, which is, I think, really very cool.
0: And metacognitive, just for folks who may not be familiar with that term, is the capacity to think about thinking, right? The self-observation to recognize, I want to respond to this person who's pushing my buttons, but I have the sort of wherewithal and self-capacity in the moment to be able to recognize that urge and think differently. So one of the challenges about this conversation when we are thinking about how to optimize our health and protect our performance, is that it can feel incredibly overwhelming to sort through the amount of information that's available. And sometimes very contradictory information, right? Intermittent fasting versus paleo versus vegan or vegetarian. And the amount of information that well-meaning people seem to be really stuck in how to sort through kind of leaves, I think, me scratching my head here and there. So where do people start? How do people kind of make sense of the deluge of information around health?
1: Yeah, I think the first thing that I think is important to recognize is why it is the case that suddenly there's six different people who are all sure that a different thing is the best for everyone. And part of it is that it's easier to sell a one size fits all solution. You know, I have found the answer. Come to the mountaintop. But the other piece is like, maybe that is the best thing that worked for that person. And they just don't realize that it only works for some people and not others. And this is the core point of almost all the work we do, which is there is an optimal for you, given a situation, given your context, given, you know, what you need to achieve your performance goals, stage of life even, but it's very unlikely to be the same as someone else outside of like, okay, probably for the most part, don't eat a bunch of sugar But outside of that, we have, we see dramatic differences in what helps clients from, you know, I mean, diets that are like eat more frequently with plenty of carbs to intermittent fasting keto, which are like, I guess the two kind of opposite poles on some level. Uh, And it has to do with differences in physiology, differences in workout goals, et cetera, et cetera. One example is for people who have low energy levels, primarily driven by inflammatory issues, not eating breakfast is um, a very ineffective. It's very effective intervention. But if you have primarily stress hormone-driven issues, then not eating breakfast is a disaster because your brain is compromised from not having fuel. And so that's a trivial example. But across supplements, even the most common ones, there is. I have never seen a supplement that doesn't cause negative effects in somebody. And likewise, we custom design supplement programs for our clients from I don't know probably sixty or seventy options, which means there are some people that. There's, you know, at least one or more of 60 or 70 things can help. And so I'd say, so how do you approach this if you don't do this for a living? And the answer is you have to run experiments with yourself. And the best thing you can do is change one thing at a time. So take three or four days or even a week if you can, and change one major thing. And just see, like, do you have more energy in the afternoon? And notice what you are looking for and try to ask yourself what you noticed that but weren't looking for. If you look from our coaches, what they ask our clients the most, they're going to ask them like anything else because we're always looking for them having noticed, oh yeah, this other weird thing happened, which to us, we know exactly physiologically what it means because this like wearable, you know, your brain that's hardwired into your body and, and, and your mind, you know, it's the sink for your brain has incredible access to information. And even people who aren't experts We talk to these, we talk to people who aren't experts all the time. They have incredible insight if they stop and think about it. So this is also a place where wearables are helpful. The problem with wearables is I slept well last night. I didn't sleep well last night. Great. Like, so what?
0: What do I do with that information?
1: Yeah. What do I do with it? So, you know, as people do experiments, you know, if it tells you you slept better or worse, it can be, it can be maybe not that helpful. But if I change something and I see that over the next three or four days, I'm getting 20% more deep sleep or 10% more deep sleep, it might be hard to notice 10% more deep sleep with all the other things going on in my life. But a wearable can be really helpful in noticing changes. If your heart rate's meaningfully different during your workout, if your sleep has improved. And so that's where we think you know, both paying attention to how you feel for the subjective stuff and then using tools like wearables where you can get more objective data it's all based on running experiments. And so, you know, that's honestly the core of what we do with clients too, is like we help them design the most effective highest ROI experiments. But even with our knowledge, we're pretty good at you know assessing what's likely to work for you. But even for our coaches, we can't tell you ahead of time, we have to run the experiments. So you, you have to do that too.
0: So a lot of the entrepreneurs who are potentially listening to this have really, really busy lives. And it can feel like, attention to sleep, health, like these things are sort of like, I'll do that after the IPO or after I have my exit or after such, such and such, uh, ARR or whatever the next benchmark is that people are working toward. Are there really sort of small accessible things that people can do to help optimize their health and performance for folk, especially who are thinking this is all great, but I don't have time to do experiments and like do the work of this.
1: I mean, all of our clients are that busy. Almost all of our clients are all are that busy. So the answer is absolutely. From changing meal timing, you know, if you just cut a meal in half and eat more frequently, it doesn't, you know, you can wolf down food in three minutes. It doesn't have to be complicated, you know, like our classic go-to for our hyper busy clients is like organic unroasted almond butter, maybe with like some cut up apple. You can eat that in under 60 seconds if required. You know, it takes a little bit of planning, but Groceries get delivered to our houses these days, so you don't have to do too much. On the sleep stuff, I'll just throw in a couple like simple experiments just to demonstrate that like for some people, taking a shower before bed dramatically improves sleep quality because what happens is when you take a shower, you raise your body temperature, and then you get out and your body temperature starts to drop quickly, and a dropping body temperature is a signal to your brain to fall asleep. And so for some people, even just like a five or 10-minute shower before bed, which also can wash off some allergens, which help other people like can dramatically improve sleep quality. And if temperature is an issue, then there's all kinds of cool technology, like these eight sleep or systems you can put in your bed that can chill your bed and and you don't have to do anything, but set it and forget it. You program it to work. So I think between technology and simple things like taking a shower, eating more frequently, obviously supplements are something we uh, start with, with clients because it's pretty easy to just wolf down a a few pills, you know, especially if they're ready to go. So like start with the easy things. Meditation can be dramatically effective, but we don't start almost any of our clients with meditation because it's a like time consuming. It's a habit people have a hard time with. So we're going to wait till we've given you more energy, more focus. You're like feeling a lot better. Then maybe we'll go to meditation, but like people shouldn't feel bad that it's hard to do things. This is all real stuff and real things. And so start with the easy stuff but can be very high ROI.
0: So right now you're running Fount as this sort of high-touch concierge health performance program where people get very, very individualized care from a coach. It's amazing. It's also expensive. But part of your vision is to be able to offer some of this at scale. So tell me about the transition from concierge to highly individualized interventions that are widely available.
1: Yeah, when I was looking at what we could do for a Navy SEAL getting ready to deploy and thinking about how to take this uh, 100,000 army grunts, you're not going to be able to do this with elite coaches. There aren't enough of them, and they're too expensive. But so You have to build predictive models and, and software to help people. And as we looked at the world, it just turns out that the data in this field is pretty bad. Like It's observa- non-ex- observational, non-experimental data, which means you don't know what the covariates are. It's 20-person clinical trials that don't have statistical power to do much. I ran a 450-person clinical trial, and for some reasons, that was too small. And even for the really good clinical trials, you're just testing one thing at a time. And you don't know what the interaction effects are. And We live in a world of synergies and other factors. So we thought about this for, like, to do this at scale, you would need to build AI coaches and predictive models off a data set that would, like, seem kind of crazy to collect thousands of people with dozens of experiments per person and really clean and rich data, blood work and wearables and interview data. And we realized that these concierge coaching programs we run are the only way you could ever collect this data set. So not only do our clients get, you know, if I can say this, like an amazing experience with our coaches, they're contributing to a data set that is going to make this available for millions of people. And I'm really proud that we're doing that. I'm proud of the experience we give now, and I'm really excited to be able to give people who can't afford a concierge level program, access to world-class health and wellness support. And we don't just think of this in the future as wellness. I mean, it turns out that the majority of disease in primary care medicine is obesity and diabetes. It's their lifestyle diseases that are frankly, you know, it's pretty clear from the research, better solved by diet and exercise and other interventions. But those are hard to do for people because you don't know which one's right for you. But if we can tell you what's right for you and it starts to work quickly and you feel better quickly, then we're off to the races and, and that's what we're building at Fount. So we're building, we've bu- well, we've built this amazing concierge program to build these AI coaches that will someday do this for millions of people.
0: What's your projected timeline?
1: So 18 to 24 months from now, we will launch an AI coach that will be unlike anything anyone has ever experienced. It will have the ability for at least 70% of the population to run you through a series of experiments autonomously with no human coach involved. That within a matter of weeks is getting you feeling dramatically better performing like you want and then just keeps improving over time. So, yeah, we're really excited about the timeline we're on and, and the ability to watch this.
0: That's amazing. And it's coming soon.
1: Every day we work harder to make it come faster. And as the CEO of a, you know, venture backed to you know, high growth startup, I, I resonate with all the other people you talk to on this podcast because, you know, look, we're, we're building this fast. And, you know, part of the secret is I don't get enough sleep. I'm sure I know a lot about sleep. I know how to optimize the sleep I get. And I do all those things. I use all my tools, but I'm building something. And so right now it requires me to be focused and work more than allows me to get optimal sleep. And you know what? Performance is relative to your goals. And so we're building this thing that I think is amazing, can change the world. And so I will accept suboptimal sleep right now. And you know that's part of also what we talk to our clients about is like, there's no judgment here. If you've like Navy SEALs, we're not getting eight hours of sleep you know, before a mission, they were getting off a plane in a weird country, not a weird country, weird time zone, like ready to go. And our coaches are for mostly former special operators, so if they get it. I get it, and I think it actually allows us to connect with our clients even better because we know what it means to want to perform at your best, even when you know you're not like on you know down pillows all the time.
0: Right. The conditions of your life are not always optimal for performance. They're messy and hard and require you to go without sleep and occasionally eat donuts.
1: But there's tools to use, regardless of what you're doing, that make it better. Like one of our clients, sometimes the clients will be like, fine, but like, when should I eat dessert? And I'm like, absolutely. I can tell you the best time physiologically to eat dessert. After you've done endurance exercise, it has the lowest effect on your body. Like, if you want a perfect time to go eat a donut, like, go run or you know, swim or whatever beforehand. And absolutely, that would be your best time.
0: Somebody is going to find that to be the most meaningful piece of this interview. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's going to get translated to this health performance coach said that I could have a donut after I go running. So... <laughs>
1: there are actually all these funny things about, you know, there's a lot of discussion of like high fructose corn syrup and maybe how it's bad for you. But the funny thing is like it refills your glycogen, your your carbohydrate reserves in your body faster than normal sugar. And so there's all these like kind of funny things of like you're in the middle of a race and you want to do the exact opposite of what you would normally do in day to day. And that's, I think what's cool about customizing this stuff is just the ability to like really be open-minded and be like, hey, this thing that is normally poison for you is now the most valuable input into your body at this exact moment.
0: Super effective in this specific condition.
1: Well, like maybe not tomorrow.
0: Yeah, not for breakfast. <laughs> so Andrew, do you, do you have any good stories about how these kinds of interventions are really life-changing for people?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite things to say is we, we ran a study, well, going on five years ago now. We took 450 Army cadets and put them through a double-blind placebo-controlled trial, and we did a nutrition training and supplement interventions. And these were kids in a college environment. So they weren't, you know, they were in the dining hall. So we could influence what they ate, but we couldn't control what they ate. And what's amazing is, you know, in eight weeks, we get a 55% improvement in mood scores, 25% improvement in sleep, and they drop 30 seconds off their two mile runtime and on validated standardized, like psychographic measures. And so that was, not even a fully customized program. that was a program customized to the group and then with some very limited individual coaching. And then when we do it fully customized, I mean we we took a CEO who needed to take his company public and he couldn't focus that well. But whenever he took caffeine or other stimulants, it really messed up his sleep. So we had to figure out like, okay well let's let's first use these you know focus or agents to tend to you know, cause people to not have stress hormone responses, still messed up with sleep. So we had to like really go back to the drawing board and reconceptualize the problem. And we're sort of thinking like anything that causes an increase in adrenaline really affects the sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight system, affects the sleep. And we can't have this person trying to take his company public, not be able to sleep. So we started thinking about like, what if we could increase dopamine levels without adrenaline levels? And we put together a supplement protocol around precursors to dopamine in a way that suddenly it was like, this is like 95% of Adderall. Don't change anything. Like, this is what I need. And he could sleep. And so it's really cool to be able to solve unique problems to other people who, you know, some of our clients will be like, I haven't felt this good in 20 years. So anyway, it's really fun stuff. And I'm really driven by the benefits we give to our clients. But even at scale, you can drive these insane benefits. It's really fun.
0: Yeah. I I certainly hear that conversation around focus and distraction a lot in among entrepreneurs. And I'm sure you, you know this data, but the only real study that I've heard of people doing around mental health diagnoses within entrepreneurs is by Michael Freeman over at UC San Francisco. And the real standout from his study was the difference in entrepreneurs versus the general population, the number of cases or number of instances in which entrepreneurs had been diagnosed with ADD or ADHD. So the sort of attentional component in some ways, I think is kind of a, an entrepreneurial superpower and that people can move quickly between different kinds of stimuli, maybe are comfortable in, in sort of highly stimulating environments, but it often also becomes a problem. And so how to be able to turn on the ability to move, to have a brain that moves really fast when the conditions are helpful. And then to be able to sort of slow down and focus when you're trying to listen to your spouse or your kid or your co-founder and be like relationally present. And again, that's one of those things that people think of as like, this is a problem that's between your ears in your head. But to hear you talk about this, this case and sort of thinking about the nuanced differences between dopamine and adrenaline, it's not necessarily just in your head or in your thought process.
1: Yeah, I think like many things, it's kind of a yes and. And so can you learn to influence how your mind reacts given a certain biological state in the moment? And things like meditation, therapy, other things definitely allow us to do that. Even just noticing that you're doing something gives you some control over it. I know that in my own use of psychotherapy, both for personal growth, but also as a performance tool, I just learn. you know, there's this thing where if you perform a cognitive action over and over, your brain like learns to do it. And so when I'm, when my brain is sort of going off track, all the other parts of my brain notice that pattern now, and it'll be like, oh, you're doing that thing where you're off track. And so it almost like tells me, and I kind of have these guardrails built in, which is really amazing and, and you know, has been a huge advantage for me. But the other piece is, yeah, I mean, there are ways to influence your physiology. Turns out, you know, we were talking about that Yerkes-Dodson curve and the upside down U before. Like, where do you want to be on that curve at any given time? Maybe you don't want to be all the way to the left or all the way to the right when you're at home like maybe the thing that's going to be great with your kids is not sitting there and doing something boring for you maybe it has to be exciting for you and mm-hmm. i think like that's probably fine like as long you know find something your kids like to do that's exciting to you that pushes you to full engagement or or closer to full engagement meanwhile like you know when you're coming home and you're on the like you're on tilt and you're on the far right side of that curve and it's you know like super high levels of stress like that's a, the kind of thing where meditation, exercise, these other tools we have saw in a cold plunge. Love a, love a cold plunge for relaxing. I was just with a group of entrepreneurs yesterday.
0: But not before bed.
1: Uh, not too close to before bed. But we just did we did 15 minutes in the ocean in, in California yesterday, and it, we were just all so relaxed afterwards. So you know, long story short is you can push your physiology to focus states. And sometimes you don't need to. And I'm sure, you know, every entrepreneur has the kind of thing that engages their brain and it's easy. But if there are those times that are harder, think about which way you want to push your brain, more activation, less activation. Do you want to use things that are adding focus? And when you're tired and having a hard time engagement, exercise can increase your adrenaline. But when you're overstimulated, it can buffer some of those effects. So even individual tools are different depending on the context. But I think you know, the key thing is we can really change our physiology from nutrition to supplements, exercise, meditation, all these things. We have remarkable levels of control. And if you have help from people who know how to do it or you do these experiments yourself, you could really learn how to move yourself into the optimal zone. One of my favorite examples is like we have a meditation program we put together in-house. You can choose for the hour after you meditate to be more focused or more creative. And it turns out that the ones that drive you towards focus don't help creativity or hurt it, but the ones that drive you towards creativity don't do as much for focus. And so even this idea that you could choose focus or creativity to me is so cool.
0: That it is a, a dynamic interaction between your conscious thinking mind and how you direct your energy and attention.
1: And the external environment you're in. It's sort of like this like crazy three body problem.
0: Amazing. Well, Andrew, for folks who are really curious about what you're doing and want to follow this wild ride that you're on, what's the best way for them to learn more about you or your work?
1: For the work we do, um, you know, come visit us at www.fount.bio, B-I-O. You know, there's some forms there to access, to request access, you know, to get into the program. And we have a little bit of a wait list, of course. But, you know, if you tell us you're a client or friend of Sherry's, maybe we'll skip you ahead. (laughs) <laughs> but I tweet very infrequently at Andrew Her Bio B I O at the end, and otherwise, you know, I'll be starting to do more podcasts and stuff in the it's coming up. So if you follow me on Twitter, I'll start to post those there as well. But you know, we love working with entrepreneurs. It's sort of at least certainly one of my favorite groups to work with because they're motivated to do something great, and uh, if you can support someone who's motivated to do something great, it's just even more fun.
0: Absolutely. I like working with them too. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time, Andrew. And can't wait to ha- to watch how, yeah, Fountain just continues to revolutionize the way that we think about performance and, and wellness.
1: Thanks so much, Carrie. I you know, love what you do. I'm a huge fan and nothing more exciting from our side as well as like mental tools and mental health conversations you're having pushes forward. And it's just such an amazing synergy. So thank you. And uh, always a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast.